The Ultra Maga versus the Ultra Elite, January 6th, while Rome burns. In 2020, an unprecedented alliance of the richest and most powerful entities in the country came together to rig an election. No, I'm not saying they did anything illegal or that there was widespread fraud, but really, does that matter? By now, after they've spent four years trying to remove Trump from power, impeached him twice, and now Merrick Garland has launched the largest investigation in American history, all to boost the Democrats' chances in the midterms and try to knock Trump out to keep him from running in 2024. You gotta wonder, what are they so afraid of? The election was rigged because they were afraid Trump would win in 2020. Indeed, a one-term president with a strong economy is unbeatable. To bring him down, they would have to take control of the media narrative, deliberately crash the economy, and discredit everything Trump ever did to manage the COVID pandemic. All that because they couldn't beat him with just Joe Biden. I know it was more than that. I know they were pressuring the media to fix their obsession with Hillary's emails in 2016. They were pressuring Mark Zuckerberg to help them win this time, since he helped Trump win last time. Facebook offered the same help to the Clinton campaign, but she turned him down. They were worried about a scandal erupting as the October surprise. You know, like the Access Hollywood tape in 2016. It's okay when they do it. Trump tried to do it with the Hunter Biden story, and you'll never believe what happened next. Hey, uh, Mr. Dorsey, this is a shadowy figure who works for the apparatus, and we think you need to bury that Hunter Biden story. Why? <laughs> well, it looks bad for Joe. Also, it's Russian disinformation. Also, if you post it, you will be complicit in spreading Russian disinformation. Also, you will be helping a racist fascist win the presidency. We good? All of the other major Silicon Valley dude bros complied. What did they have to lose? Nothing. They know which side butters their bread. What we saw in 2020 was the richest and most powerful people essentially subverting American democracy. In their efforts to remove one president they didn't like and install another, we lived through probably the most corrupt election in American history by a group of people who really do believe they have the right to manipulate an election. With enough money and lawyers, you can do anything. Normally, you'd have reporters at the Washington Post and the New York Times doing detailed reports of how corrupt our government had become. They're not above the American people. They're not above American democracy. But that isn't what you see. Even now, you still see them taking one side, the Twitter blue check side. Who are they, you might ask? You know who the ultra MAGA is, thanks to Joe Biden's decision to dehumanize half the country. Now meet the ultra elite. The ultra elite is the blue check army on Twitter of the most revered, famous, wealthy, and powerful high-status people in the country. Stephen King, Bette Midler, Patricia Arquette, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Obama, Michael Beschloss, John Dean, Howard Dean, and then of course the never-Trumpers like Rick Wilson and Steve Schmidt. They call themselves the resistance, but really, they were the ultra-elite. They're the Obama Coalition, they're Netflix and HBO, they're Nike and Microsoft. They're the Grammys and the Oscars. They're Audible and Home Depot. They sit atop the food chain, making the most money. 
Almost every major corporation in America, almost every university, research lab, opera house, art museum, are all in alignment with the ultra elite. They listen to NPR. They read the New York Times. They think the Washington Post is still a legitimate newspaper. And they are 100% down with the story that Trump incited a violent insurrection on January 6th and that his supporters were a white supremacist army ready to overthrow the United States government. Imagine that the United States government is that fragile that these guys with no guns could overthrow it. But the ultra elite live in fear. They hide in their bunker and want the bad people to disappear. They send out scouts to see if they're gone. If they see one ultra mega, you know, walking around without a mask or wearing a red cap, that means it's not over yet. They just want their utopia back, their perfect little world, before Trump wrecked it. The truth still matters, though it is in limited supply. Watching the entire media take a side on the January 6th show trial is frightening. There isn't even a question of due process or presumption of innocence. They've been convicted in the court of public opinion, and that's all that matters. Over the past six years, we've just become numb to living in a country that disappears perceived wrongdoers. Cancel culture replaced the presumption of innocence and due process with trial by mob. Why wouldn't that hysteria swallow up the government too? Joe Biden has been targeting Trump voters ever since, smearing them as racists and insurrectionists and election deniers, anti-vaxxers and white supremacists. On the left, they believe you should be as forceful and aggressive as possible to fight for your rights. When Trump supporters do it, they're the wrong class of people. They're not the ultra-elite, they're the ultra-mega. That's bad. So they should never try to fight against a government they feel has betrayed them. Not this government. It's ESG-infused fashionable fascism. One day the whole story will be told, and history will not be kind. No group of people who dehumanizes another fares well in retrospect. How will you explain the treatment of people who breached the Capitol after so many on the left have done the same thing? Oh, they were racists. Is that the plan? This was the Capitol breach of Wisconsin. Yesterday, 6 p.m. meeting was announced at exactly 4.10 p.m. And protesters who, who rushed the building in connection with that vote, reportedly smashing windows, forcing their way through windows, through doors and into the Capitol, climbing through through the blockades, uh, blockades by the police, I should say, may now be facing some legal consequences as well. Take a look at the scene last night.
The media is part of the ultra-elite that runs this country by controlling the chosen narrative and micromanaging a manufactured consensus on Twitter. They're the ones who get to say if it's right or wrong, fair or corrupt. It's like the end of Chinatown when Evelyn has nowhere to turn because Noah Cross owns the police. Evelyn, you're a disturbed woman. You cannot hope to provide. Evelyn, put that gun away. Let the police handle this. He owns the police. The ultra-elite can't check the media because they are the media. But it's one thing if they're just winning an election, bending the rules with a nudge-nudge, wink-wink, which did more damage to Americans' faith in democracy itself than January 6th. It's entirely different from waging a 9-11-style war on terror against anyone who might think about voting for Trump. It is an abuse of power that I believe they will regret one day. For the president to use such definitive language for people who have not yet been convicted of these crimes would be shocking if we weren't already used to the idea that the ultra-elite do whatever they want and there are no checks and balances on that power. There is enough exculpatory evidence to contradict many of the findings revealed in the primetime hearings, including the Oath Keepers helping Capitol Police at least three times to calm down the crowd. Hundreds of hours of footage that has never been released. There is video of Trump supporters attempting to stop windows from being smashed, including one of Ashley Babbitt punching an unidentified rioter who broke the window just before she was shot. At best, you have disrupting an official proceeding or the disrupting of peaceful transfer of power. But that was never good enough for the ultra-elite. They had to dig out something that looked more insurrection-y. So they came up with seditious conspiracy. And that was the first sign our government, at least to me, had become corrupt. That they were now distorting reality to suit the narrative, which is what the media and our politicians did all through 2020. There aren't many people brave enough to get the story, the whole story, of January 6th. But a few have. Julie Kelly's book is a must-read. And over at the conservative site Epoch Times, they've assembled some of the footage, never shown to the American public. It's worth a watch. For all of their sneering at sites like Epoch Times, none of the mainstream journalists have looked at January 6th or anything else since 2020 with a critical, objective eye. Two rioters have since committed suicide, probably because our government took away what they valued the most, love of country. If you take that away, you take everything. It isn't enough that so many of them come from places that have been emptied out and turned into ghost towns all across America. Mom and pop stores were replaced with the same familiar franchises. Any town USA became any brand USA. There is no answer from the Biden administration for that. If you drive across this country, you'll see much love for Trump everywhere. Tractor trailers festooned with his name across them. The Trump flag is planted on lawns, front yards, and fields. There is no doubt that much of America is Trump country. Not the ultra-elite, but the people who help keep this country running, farmers and truckers and waitresses and gas station attendants. The Biden administration has no way to reach them. After all, he has now demonized them, wrongly, by calling them racists and white supremacists and insurrectionists, blaming them for COVID deaths because they didn't wear masks or get vaccines. Now we know the masks barely stop the spread, if at all. 
and vaccines never did. So what's the plan? Just keep scaring the ultra-elite with the ultra-mega. Will that distract people away from their real problems? What happened to the minds of the young during lockdown? What about gas prices, rising rent, inflation? To the ultra-elite, what matters is what they put in their bios on Twitter, the war in Ukraine, their pronouns, BLM. Yuval Noah Harari wrote in his book, Lessons for the 21st Century, the following. Democracy is based on Abraham Lincoln's principle that you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. If a government is corrupt and fails to improve people's lives, enough citizens will eventually realize this and replace the government. But government control of the media undermines Lincoln's logic because it prevents citizens from realizing the truth. Through its monopoly over the media, the ruling oligarchy can repeatedly blame all its failures on others and divert attention to external threats, either real or imaginary. When you live under such an oligarchy, there is always some crisis or other that takes priority over boring stuff such as healthcare and pollution. If the nation is facing external invasion or diabolical subversion, who has time to worry about hospitals and polluted rivers? By manufacturing a never-ending stream of crises, a corrupt oligarchy can prolong its rule indefinitely. Harari was referring to the first war on terror, but his words apply to Biden's abuse of power to distract from his failed Afghanistan exit, his inability to stand up to the insane left, and a crashing economy. Like it or not, Joe Biden is Ashley Babbitt's president too. He's the president of every desperate Trump supporter who showed up that day fighting for Trump. He owes them the same protections as he would give the protesters over the summer in 2020. Pride goeth before the fall. If history is any indicator, we're witnessing the collapse of the once mighty empire of the counterculture left. They took back power using resources most Americans don't have access to. They showed us what an America under their rule would look like. They might clean it up nicely on cable news and on their Twitter feeds, but the reality is dystopian. The media simply ignored all the warning signs heading into 2020. We had good reason to be worried about what might happen if the rising madness on the left got into government. So many victims of that summer that were never even mentioned by the Democrats at their convention or even now. They just don't care, like the dead soldiers in Afghanistan, like the abuse suffered by police officers in Portland, like two women arrested and charged with beating a U.S. senator in August. Publishers, editors, and professors were all being fired. The hysteria was whipped up every day online. This was starting to scare Americans away from the left. That, more than anything, is why Trump won as many millions of votes as he did and won Iowa, Ohio, and Florida and would have won the election if not for the banked votes the Zuckerberg army had amassed. By August, Trump had something new to campaign on, which is what he's campaigning on even now. It was handed to him by the inane cultural revolution that took hold the summer of 2020 and how so many corporations caved to pressure Trump has a good instinct for what people care about, but isn't being covered by the mainstream media. That is probably one of the reasons why he's resonating even now. 
The reality the ultra-elite give Americans daily doesn't match their reality. But if they hear Trump talk about it, they think, wow, someone has the guts to say what everyone thinks. He gave a speech at Mount Rushmore that was the first time any major public figure had talked about what was happening in a critical way. Quote, 1776 represented the culmination of thousands of years of Western civilization and the triumph of not only spirit, but of wisdom, philosophy, and reason. And yet, as we meet here tonight, there is a growing danger that threatens every blessing our ancestors fought so hard for, struggled, they bled to secure. Our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. Angry mobs are trying to tear down statues of our founders, deface our most sacred memorials, and unleash a wave of violent crime in our cities. Many of these people have no idea why they're doing this, but some know what they're doing. They think the American people are weak and soft and submissive, but no, the American people are strong and proud, and they will not allow our country and all of its values, history, and culture to be taken from them. For podcast listeners, there's a graph showing early voting cast in 2020 sharply on the rise. Over 60% of people voted. There wasn't time to overcome the massive lead of early mail-in voting. They had stockpiled enough that they knew they already won before the count started. But in the end, Trump's strength showed a shift was happening. That is why elections should be held close to election day, so candidates can make a strong case for Americans to choose which direction they want to take the country. That didn't happen in 2020. They were given a government they didn't ask for. The left has become so insane they are making the case for any Republican to vote them out. The Democrats think selling fear, panic, and hysteria is the way to drive their movement forward. It isn't. Americans need optimism, hope, patriotism, law and order, and every other tried-and-true campaign pitch. The media has never been held accountable for their ongoing distortions in 2020. Cheryl Atkinson has collected a definitive list of the media mistakes during the Trump years. I think it's safe to say that journalism has collapsed. That's a big part of the empire of the ultra-elites. Eventually, it will all be coming down. There is no surviving if they've lost access to the truth, and they have. There are many examples of this, but let's just pick one. When the story broke that Trump had used tear gas to clear the area for a photo op, it took a year for that story to be corrected. The story was a lie that the media ran. The weird part was that no one among the ultra-elite cared. They wanted Trump out. Everything else came secondary. They paid too high a price for their collusion, and the media has now lost all credibility among the public, or anyone who isn't a member of the ultra-elite. Have you no decency? In 1954, Joseph McCarthy went too far with the McCarthy hearings. He decided to showcase them on primetime television, just like the January 6th committee. Even though much of his work had been valid, there were spies in government and Marxist zealots in Hollywood. By 1954, he had become paranoid. He was drinking too much and he went too far. That was when Eisenhower stepped in. He helped discredit McCarthy, a fellow Republican, because he could see it was destroying unity and American morale. Americans were starting to turn on each other. 
And this was explored so beautifully in Arthur Miller's The Crucible and in The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. No! Look! Charlie! Charlie, the lights just went on in your house. Why did the lights go on in your house? What about it, Charlie? How come you're the only one with lights now? That's what I'd like to know. You were so quick to kill Charlie, and so quick to tell us who we had to look out for. Well, maybe you had to kill. Maybe Pete there was trying to tell us something. Maybe Pete learned something and came back to tell us who it was amongst us we had to look out for. No! No, it's nothing of the sort! I didn't know the lights on, I swear I didn't! Somebody's pulling a gag or something! Without access to the truth, there would never have been a Twilight Zone. We live in a time that would produce the most interesting books and screenplays, but the ultra-elite will prevent those stories from being told. If you're a white male, you mostly can't get a writing gig or a directing job unless you're a big name. And since white people are still the majority, that makes for a very odd hiring pool. But even if they could get work, the strident limits on storytelling is oppressive and strange. We get these rigid self-conscious movies depicting the ultra-elite's ideal utopia. Their casting is always multiracial because that helps them look like they're doing the good work of anti-racist, but it often sets storytelling off in strange and unpredictable ways. They tell us to think about nothing but the racial dynamics between white and black people, then they cast them in a way that tells us we should not even see color. The microaggressions we're supposed to be aware of suddenly disappear when watching a movie, television ad, or TV show. They want us to think about race or never think about race. Which is it? Access to the truth is Edward R. Murrow speaking out against McCarthy. This speech could apply today to Merrick Garland, Joe Biden, Liz Cheney, and Jeremy Raskin, and all the media who have sold out their profession by their failure to look at this story with any objectivity. We don't have any leaders in Washington like Eisenhower, that's for sure. And we certainly don't have members of the media like Murrow. Earlier, the senator asked, upon what meat does this our Caesar feed? Had he looked three lines earlier in Shakespeare's Caesar, he would have found this line, which is not altogether inappropriate. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. No one familiar with the history of his country can deny that congressional committees are useful. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one, and the junior senator from Wisconsin has stepped over it repeatedly. His primary achievement has been in confusing the public mind as between the internal and the external threats of communism. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear, one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, and to defend causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the result. There is no way for a citizen of a republic to abdicate his responsibilities. As a nation, we have come into our full inheritance at a tender age. 
We proclaim ourselves as indeed we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world. But we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. The actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have caused alarm and dismay amongst our allies abroad and given considerable comfort to our enemies. And whose fault is that? Not really his. He didn't create this situation of fear. He merely exploited it, and rather successfully. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night, and good luck. One of the reasons so many people watch Tucker Carlson and listen to Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan is that they are looking for people who will tell them what they think instead of speaking in the measured, guarded tone of the forever frightened ultra-elite. How refreshing to hear someone just rip through the hypocrisy of the most uptight, puritanical oligarchy this country has ever known since its bloody revolution from King George. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. I thank heaven it's Friday, mostly because it's not Thursday. Yesterday was Thursday, a day that will live in shame in the history of the American news business. Yesterday, last night, Every news network in this country, but this one, faithfully surrendered its entire primetime lineup to Nancy Pelosi. So in place of news coverage, people who tuned in got two straight hours of unedited campaign propaganda scripted by the Democratic Party. The effect was North Korean. Every channel the same. Nothing like it has ever happened in this country. Now the news anchors who faithfully did Pelosi's bidding pretended they were airing some sort of congressional hearing but they were lying. It was not a hearing. At a hearing, dissent is permitted. The other side can speak. Evidence is presented. Evidence is not censored or deceptively edited. That's not allowed. So what we saw last night was definitely not a hearing. It was a show trial. There was no pretense of fairness or accuracy. The whole thing was indecent. How many people were convinced by what they saw last night? Hmm, right around zero. They're not gonna win a single vote, so why'd they do it? There had to be a reason they're not that stupid. Well, the reason they did it is every minute news anchors are whining about some imaginary threat from QAnon. Remember QAnon? Every minute they're doing that, they're not covering the collapse of the American economy, something everyone actually cares about. Collapse is a strong word, but how would you describe it? Today, inflation hit 8.6%. Those are the official numbers. Those are the numbers arrived at using the government's own cooked metrics but it's still the highest increase in inflation in more than 40 years. So it's not surprising that consumer confidence is at the lowest level ever recorded. Why? Really, it comes down to energy. The cost of Carlson is not on Twitter. He says his main touchstone is a waitress in Yosemite who tells him what she's going through as an ordinary American citizen. That makes him more able to relate to Americans than the cable news hosts who live online in the cocoon of the ultra-elite. Trump supporters don't have many people who will stand up for them. They definitely have one strong fighter in Carlson. He shows no signs of fear toward any of the ultra-elite. He ruthlessly mocks high-status media and both political parties and seems to have a soft spot for the people with the least power. He is most definitely public enemy number one for the ultra-elite. I bring him up because he is among the few voices on cable news who, to quote Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman, takes a flamethrower to this place. You get called a racist and a bigot if you watch Carlson, but I'm still waiting to see this kind of fearlessness anywhere else. The Way Out 
Biden and the ultra-elite can continue to ratchet up their authoritarian control, then turn around and warn Americans against the authoritarianism on the right. There is no question who is the bigger threat. 2020 gave us a glimpse into our potential future. It looks a lot like 1984. It's heartbreaking to see the once formidable movement of the late 60s become the sellouts they used to hate. What happened to the protest songs? What happened to sticking it to the man? They became the lotus eaters. They found their lotus plant on Twitter, which felt too good. A magic mirror that tells them how great they are every single day and how much power they have to control the media narrative and the Democratic politicians. How else is a guy like Adam Kinzinger going to get so much instant feedback? The likes, the sweet, juicy likes. None of them have emerged from that lotus plant looking very good. The only way out of this mess is for the hysteria around Trump to dissipate. When that happens, we will have likely found our way through our darkest days. Those who think they can do battle with the woke left but still draw on the line at Trump saying things like, but the far right is worse, haven't yet understood that it's all the same thing. If Joe Biden was a great leader, he would understand what Trump experienced for four years he was in power, how undemocratic it was for our media, government, and the blue checks to treat him the way they did. Biden could bring the country together that way, but you know he isn't a great leader and doesn't want to unite the country. The ultra-elite only seeks to purge or reform the non-compliant ultra-maga. Same old story, eh? Either way, I figure the Democrats are seeing their last desperate days, particularly if they go through with an indictment for Trump. They will have served the bloodthirsty blue checks with what they most want, but it will come at a great cost for the country. America will turn on the Democrats. And after what they've done with January 6th, they have it coming. We need a leader who can bring the country together. We have tough fights ahead with other countries, future pandemics, and who knows what else. The ultra-elite have overstayed their welcome. It's time for them to shrink back into the shadows. Power to the people. <laughs>